Chapter 4, Part 12 of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 1, by Charles McKay. The Alchemist, Part 12. The Count de Saint-Germain. This adventurer was of a higher grade than the last, and played a distinguished part at the court of Louis the Fifteenth. He pretended to have discovered the elixir of life, by means of which he could make any one live for centuries, and allowed it to be believed that his own age was upwards of two thousand years. He entertained many of the opinions of the Rosicrucians, boasted of his intercourse with sylphs and salamanders, and of his power of drawing diamonds from the earth and pearls from the sea by the force of his incantations. He did not lay claim to the merit of having discovered the Philosopher's Stone, but devoted so much of his time to the operations of alchemy that it was very generally believed that if such a thing as the philosopher's stone had ever existed or could be called into existence he was the man to succeed in finding it it has never been discovered what was his real name or in what country he was born some believe from the jewish cast of his handsome countenance that he was the quote, wandering jew unquote. Others asserted that he was the issue of an Arabian princess, and that his father was a salamander, while others, more reasonable, affirmed him to be the son of a Portuguese Jew, established at Bordeaux. He first carried on his imposture in Germany, where he made considerable sums by selling an elixir to arrest the progress of old age. The Maréchal de Belle Isle purchased a dose of it, and was so captivated with the wit, learning, and good manners of the charlatan, and so convinced of the justice of his most preposterous pretensions, that he induced him to fix his residence in Paris. Under the marshal's patronage, he first appeared in the gay circles of that capital. Everyone was delighted with the mysterious stranger, who, at this period of his life, appears to have been about seventy years of age, but did not look more than forty-five. His easy assurance imposed upon most people. His reading was extensive, and his memory extraordinarily tenacious of the slightest circumstances. His pretension to have lived for so many centuries naturally exposed him to some puzzling questions as to the appearance, life, and conversation of the great men of former days but he was never at a loss for an answer many who questioned him for this purpose of scoffing at him refrained in perplexity quite bewildered by his presence of mind his ready replies and his astonishing accuracy on every point mentioned in history to increase the mystery by which he was surrounded he permitted no person to know how he lived he dressed in a style of the greatest magnificence, sported valuable diamonds at his hat and on his fingers, 
in his shoe buckles and sometimes made the most costly presents to the ladies of the court. It was suspected by many that he was a spy in the pay of the English ministry, but there was never a tittle of evidence to support the charge. The king looked upon him with marked favor, was often closeted with him for hours together, and would not suffer anybody to speak disparagingly of him. Voltaire constantly turned him into ridicule, and, in one of his letters to the king of Prussia, mentions him as that un comte pourrir, and states that he pretended to have dined with the Holy Fathers at the Council of Trent. In the memoirs of Madame du Hasset, chamberwoman, to Madame du Pompadour, there are some amusing anecdotes of this personage. Very soon after his arrival in Paris, he had the entree of her dressing-room, a favor only granted to the most powerful lords at the court of her royal lover. Madame was fond of conversing with him, and, in her presence, he thought fit to lower his pretensions very considerably. But he often allowed her to believe that he had lived two or three hundred years at least. One day, says Madame de Hesset, Madame said to him, In my presence, what was the personal appearance of Francis I? He was a king I should have liked. He was indeed very captivating, replied St. Germain, and he proceeded to describe his face and person as that of a man who he had accurately observed. It is a pity he was too ardent. I could have given him some good advice, which would have saved him from all his misfortunes, but he would not have followed it, for it seems as if a fatality attended princes, forcing them to shut their ears to the wisest counsel. Was his court very brilliant? inquired Madame du Pompadour. Very, replied the Count. But those of his grandsons surpassed it. In the time of Mary Stuart and Margaret of Valois, it was a kind of land of enchantment, a temple sacred to pleasures of every kind. Madame, said laughing, <laughs> you seem to have seen all of this. I have an excellent memory, said he, and have read the history of France with great care. I sometimes amuse myself not by making, but by letting it be believed that I lived in old times. But you do not tell us your aid, said Madame du Pompadour to him on another occasion. And yet you pretend you are very old, the Countess de Gergy, who was, I believe, ambassadress at Vienna some fifty years ago, says she saw you there exactly the same as you now appear. It is true, madame, replied Saint-Germain. I knew madame de Gergy many years ago. But, according to her account, you must be more than a hundred years old. That is not impossible, he said, laughing. But it is much more possible that the good lady is in her dotage. You gave her an elixir, surprising for the effects it produced, for she says that during a length of time she only appeared to be eighty-four. 
the age at which she took it. Why don't you give it to the king? Oh, madame, he explained, the physicians would have me broken on the wheel were I to think of drugging his majesty. When the world begins to believe extraordinary things of an individual, there is no telling where its extravagance will stop. People, when once they have taken the start, vie with each other. Who shall believe most? At this period all Paris resounded with the wonderful adventures of Count de Saint-Germain, and a company of waggish young men tried the following experiment upon its credulity. A clever mimic, who, on account of the amusement he afforded, was admitted into good society, was taken by them, dressed as the Count de Saint-Germain, into several houses in the Rue du Marais. He imitated the Count's peculiarities admirably, and found his auditors open-mouthed to believe any absurdity he chose to utter. No fiction was too monstrous for their all-devouring credulity. He spoke of the Saviour of the world in terms of the greatest familiarity, said he had supped with him at the marriage in canaan of galilee where the water was miraculously turned into wine in fact he said he was an intimate friend of his and had often warned him to be less romantic and imprudent or he would finish his career miserably this infamous blasphemy strange to say found believers, and ere three days had elapsed, it was currently reported that St. Germain was born soon after the deluge, and that he would never die. St. Germain himself was too much a man of the world to assert anything so monstrous, but he took no pains to contradict the story. In all his conversations with persons of rank and education, he advanced his claims modestly and as if by mere inadvertency and seldom pretended to a longevity beyond three hundred years except when he found he was in company with persons who would believe anything he often spoke of henry the eighth as if he had known him intimately and of emperor charles v as if that monarch had delighted his society he would describe conversations which took place with such an apparent truthfulness and be so exceedingly minute and particular as to the dress and appearance of the individuals and even the weather at the time and the furniture of the room that three persons out of four were generally inclined to credit him he had constant applications from rich old women for an elixir to make them young again and it would appear gained large sums in this manner to those whom he was pleased to call his friends he said that his mode of living and plan of diet were far superior to any elixir and that any body might obtain a patriarchal age by refraining from drinking at meals and very sparingly at other times the baron de glyken followed the system and took great quantities of senna leaves expecting to live for two hundred years he died however at seventy-three the duchess de choiseul was desirous of following the same system but the duke her husband in much wrath forbade her to follow any system prescribed by a man who had so equivocal a reputation as monsieur de saint germain 
Madame du Houset says she saw St. Germain and conversed with him several times. He appeared to her to be about fifty years of age, was of middle size, and had fine expressive features. His dress was always simple, but displayed much taste. He usually wore diamond rings of great value, and his watch and snuff-box were ornamented with a profusion of precious stones. One day at Madame de Pompadour's apartments, where the principal courtiers were assembled, St. Germain made his appearance in diamond knee and shoe-buckles of so fine a water that Madame said she did not think the king had any equal to them. He was entreated to pass into the antechamber and undo them which he did, and brought them to Madame for closer inspection. Monsieur de Gontant, who was present, said their value could not be less than two hundred thousand livres, or upwards of eight thousand pounds sterling. The Baron de Gleichen, in his memoirs, relates that the Count one day showed him so many diamonds that he thought he saw before him all the treasures of Aladdin's lamp and adds that he had by great experience in precious stones and was convinced that all those possessed by the count were genuine on another occasion st germain showed madame de pompadour a small box containing topazes emeralds and diamonds worth half a million livres he affected to despise all this wealth to make the world more easily believe that he could, like the Rosicrucians, draw precious stones out of the earth by the magic of his song. He gave away a great number of these jewels to the ladies of the court, and Madame du Pompadour was so charmed with his generosity that she gave him a richly enameled snuff-box as a token of her regard, on the lid of which was beautifully painted a portrait of Socrates or some other Greek sage, to whom she compared him. He was not only lavish to the mistresses, but to the maids. Madame du Hasset says, quote, The Count came to see Madame du Pompadour, who was very ill and lay on the sofa. She showed her diamonds, enough to furnish a king's treasury. Madame sent for me to see all those beautiful things. I looked at them with an air of the utmost astonishment, but I made signs to her that I thought them all false. The Count felt for something in a pocket-book, and about twice as large as a spectacle-case, and at length drew out three little paper packets, which he unfolded and exhibited a superb ruby. He threw on the table, with a contemptuous air, and a little cross of green and white stones i looked at it and said it was not to be despised i then put it on and admired it greatly the count begged me to accept it i refuse he urged me to take it and at length he pressed so warmly that madame seeing it could not be worth more than a thousand livres made me a sign to accept it I took the cross, much pleased with the Count's politeness." Unquote. How the adventurer obtained his wealth remains a secret. 
he could not have made it all by the sale of his elixir vitae in germany though no doubt some portion of it was derived from that source voltaire positively says he was in the pay of foreign governments and in his letter to the king of prussia dated the fifth of april seventeen fifty eight says that he was initiated in all the secrets of choiseul kaunitz and pitt of what use he could be to any of those ministers to choiseul especially is a mystery of mysteries there appears no doubt that he possessed the secret of removing spots from diamonds and in all probability he gained considerable sums by buying at inferior prices such as had flaws in them and afterward disposing of them at a profit of cent per cent madame du hasset relates the following anecdote of this particular the king she says she ordered a middling-sized diamond which had a flaw in it to be brought to him after having it weighed his majesty said to the count the value of this diamond as it is with the flaw in it is six thousand livres without the flaw it will be worth at least ten thousand will you undertake to make me a gainer of four thousand livres st germain examined it very attentively and said it is possible it may be done i will bring it you again in a month at that time it was wrapped in a cloth of amianthus which he took off the king had it weighed immediately and found it very little diminished his majesty then sent it to his jeweller by monsieur de gontant without telling him of anything that had passed the jeweller gave nine thousand six hundred livres for it the king however sent for the diamond back again and said that he would keep it as a curiosity he could not overcome his surprise and said that monsieur de saint germain must be worth millions especially if he possessed the secret of making large diamonds out of small ones the count neither said that he could or could not but positively asserted that he knew how to make pearls grow and to give them the finest water the king paid him great attention and so did madame du pompadour monsieur de quesnoy once said that saint germain was a quack but the king reprimanded him in fact his majesty appears infatuated by him and sometimes talks of him as if his descendant were illustrious st germain had a most amusing vagabond for a servant to whom he would often appeal for corroboration when relating some wonderful event that had happened centuries before the fellow who was not without ability generally corroborated him in a most satisfactory manner upon one occasion his master was telling a party of ladies and gentlemen at dinner some conversation he had had in palestine with richard i of england whom he described as a very particular friend of his signs of astonishment and incredulity were visible on the faces of the company upon which st germain very coolly turned to his servant who stood behind his chair and asked him if he had not spoken the truth i really cannot say replied the man without moving a muscle you forget sir 
I have only been five hundred years in your service. Ah, <laughs> true, said his master. I remember now. It was a little before your time. Occasionally, when with men, whom he could not so easily dupe, he gave utterance to the contempt with which he could scarcely avoid regarding such gaping credulity. These fools of Parisians, said he to the Baron de Glyken, believe me to be more than five hundred years old, and, since they really will have it so, I confirm them in their idea, not but that I really am much older than I appear. Many other stories are related of this strange impostor, but enough have been quoted to show his character and pretensions. It appears that he endeavored to find the Philosopher's Stone, but never boasted of possessing it. The Prince of Hesse-Cassel, whom he had known years before in Germany, wrote urgent letters to him, entreating him to quit Paris and to reside with him. St. Germain at last consented. Nothing further is known of his career. There were no gossiping memoir writers at the court of Hesse-Cassel to chronicle his sayings and doings. He died at Selswig under the roof of his friend the prince in the year 1784. End of chapter 4, part 12. Read by Scott Beattie.